I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power, home of the GA Hour Football Acre. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have have spoken with each other and... uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a f- shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f- asses for f- 10 years. Okay, Conan and Connor, we've, I forgot to do this last week, so we have to give our live show a mention. Um, we're in Liberty Hall next Thursday. So if the hurling show went really well in Liberty Hall, it's a brilliant venue. So we have the Bomber List and we have Jack O'Shea, we have Sean Lowry and we have Bernard Brogan and they are going to talk a little bit about the three in a row or the five in a row, attempted five in a row in 1982. Offaly obviously scuppered Kerry's plans. Kerry were hot favourites. All sounds familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, Kerry obviously started off their five in a row by beating Dublin in the first two games um, for that. So we have Bernard Brogan in there. Then we have Alan Brogan, Ger Brennan and Aidan O'Mahony. And they're going to talk a little bit about the 2011 final. And both panels will talk about the match as well. So we have a great lineup um, in store. So we have tickets on the website at the moment, Connor. Yeah. Connor, sorry. On the website on sportsu.ie, you'll snap them up there for free. Okay, so listen, we'll see you all next Thursday night. Connor Sketches is doing a video as well. I was talking to him on the phone yesterday. It's going to feature Joe Brawley, Ger Lucknan, and Connor McGregor. So you can mm-hmm. uh, let your mind wonder about what he's going to do with those. So I know what he's going to do, but. After the last one with Lucknan, I have no idea where this is going to go. <laughs> So, Conan, you did something this week that I didn't think was possible. You made me interested in kick-out analysis, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you did a really good piece on the website um, about Dublin's press. And some of it overlapped on what we're talking about on the show, but you came up with solutions to it, which we probably haven't talked about on the show, which I thought was very interesting. So, first of all, the Dublin press. We kind of know that, but you... Uh, broke it down in graphics which obviously makes it an awful lot easier to see and the zones that they take up and the four people to put across midfield which you call the wall which (laughs) is Fenton, Macaulay, Howard and McCarthy and basically in that zonal press there is nowhere you can receive that ball really that you're not falling into a triangle of Dublin players. Yeah, because uh, it was interested looking at Rob Henley. So I think we criticised him for rushing his kickouts and stuff. But when you look back, like he tried to go long, he tried to go short, he tried to ping passes to the 45. And every yeah. single time, wherever he went, he was being nailed. He either hit the wall, a ball was floating to somebody in the 45 who were being mauled by three people around him. Or if you went short, obviously you have 15 Dublin players to get around who are all pressing up and pushing you back yeah yeah and the the the, the important thing about this zone as well um connor you've read the piece is that mm-hmm. even if you go to the wing and it's not too long the triangle will turn into a straight line and you'll be corralled down the wing and like i mean i actually remember even port leash last year talking about this let them have it yeah. and box them off down the wing where they run into a dead end like i mean it, it, that's not unique to dublin but that's obviously another strength of their zone that they're close enough 
to the sideline that they're going to trap you over there as well. That was the most noticeable thing for me from from reading Colin's piece, and as as you said, well, very well illustrated by the graphs. It just brought me back to um, to actually watching the game two weeks ago, and I've never seen a more like Crow Park is a big pitch, but I've never seen the the like one 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 team's half look so claustrophobic. Like it might as well have been the size of a hot press. It's just like Mayo could not get out, and kind of made a good point about traps. Is that like while Dublin, you you we might go on to talk about the man to man element, but if you're not going man to man, they will they'll just invite you into doing what they want you to do, and like it's it's not that it's not that obvious because there's so other little options that you end up try, having to try to take that option, and then that's what they do. Mayo won four kickouts, I think, during that period. I think yeah. you mentioned in that twelve minute period after half time, but they might as well not have won them because they were under such pressure immediately. Two of them immediately turned over into Dublin scores. So like a, like that the, the traps element, I think, is, is fascinating as well. But it was good. <laughs> I'm just glad that there were solutions at the end of it, because <laughs> I was reading at the start. I was like, what do you do? What do you do whatsoever? But uh, thankfully, I don't think Kerry will play into Dublin's hands the way that Mayo did just well, after halftime. Well, Kerry are the original um, innovators with this. Yeah. So Dublin's big press is pretty much what they saw in 2016 and got confused about just before half time and it's that crazy end to the game where Kerry we'd never seen them commit two defenders and leave Dublin men free so it was outstanding here's a thing that works against play these teams and the Dublin uh, press you've got a half back line and a full back line and they're running around and they're trying to get free and they're you know they're they're you know the the obvious thing to do is make yourself available and Dublin don't even follow them like you're actually wasting your energy because they're you're running towards another trap because they have them mm-hmm. strategically placed and then if the ball goes long to the wall as you call it to the to the four you've been making runs you're not out there whereas the Dublin zone hasn't moved they know that if it goes long they're close to it they have a player close to it so all this frenzy of everyone trying to get a short one mm. it actually works against the time <laughs> yeah. you go along as well against the team who are trying to get free yeah because we always talk about how good Dublin are at the breaks and obviously that's because they're they're so hungry and they're obviously so athletic as well but it's because they're not moving like, and as you say the opposition are moving around and they're, they're being honest they're like, beating they're, themselves yeah they're genuinely trying to do something but they're running out of the way and then you're just placing these zones and you'll see it like just they're just passing men off so if Colin Boyle who, who did a few times sprint across the 45 trying to get free it's just going from Kilkenny to Scully to John Small and like none of them are moving and Colin Boyd is never free because they're yeah. all in these positions. All close but, enough to him. It's, like. it's not just that either. Space is at such a premium that the keep that the that the keeper, say Robbie Henley or Shane Henley, uh, Shane Ryan the next day, has to try and direct it exactly to uh, the player that he's the intended receiver as opposed to giving it to him on the run because if, if he gives it to him on the run Dublin have that covered and they're getting it on the run and they have momentum yeah actually Kerry did that against Mayo where where Mayo's receivers were stood under the ball and David Moore had a good run on it and actually Brian Fenton at the start of the second half against Mayo he never really manned up on anyone but he had the trajectory sorted so that he'd arrive perfectly on time made a few spectacular catches so it's just um, they've, they've, they've any amount of bases that you want covered so Oh, they do. Fingers crossed Shane Ryan has looked at your (laughs) Well, I'd say he has, but this is the one thing, and this is, you wouldn't have been able to illustrate this on the graphs if this wasn't predictable. Now, this is very, very predictable from Dublin, and this has been going on a while, and we've talked about it enough, and now it's there, you know, on the charts, and this is obvious. So if a tactic is obvious and predictable... Like any inter-county manager should be able to think of ways around it, right? So it's almost like 
stop your halfbacks running around like crazy ones. And like, I mean, you came up with three solutions to it and you're not an inter-county uh, manager or anything like that. And you came up. So I'm sure there's plenty of other solutions, but I liked your solutions. And your first solution to this is um, overload one side. So if Dublin want to go zonal, let them go zonal. But you bring more players to one side that they're going zonal and let the other zonal lads be really zoning an area that you're not worried about. So then you have more ball you've more players arriving at that breaking ball yeah that's it so like and you know like as you say it's predictable so you know Dublin are going to try this press it should be a weakness for Dublin really because yeah. we know they're going to do it as soon as Dean Rock is a free Dublin are going to try it as soon as there's a player injured or a breaking play Dublin are going to try it whenever they can set it up they will do it because that's when they can attack your kick out but yeah if they're going to set up in these zones from the half from the halfway line basically down to the 21 they have to cover every bit of that and they have to obviously go wing to wing to do that so why would you try to compete against that when you know they've got every single part of it covered up? Yeah. So if you go to one side, all your players go to one side, your fullback line can probably still stay in place to not be silly about it, then you've got men over and it's not 2v1. It's, it could be 4v1 if Dublin don't follow you. Now, of course, Dublin probably will follow you, but then you're after, moving them out of their zones. After two of them, they'll probably start following. They're, they're smart enough on the field. But at the same time, that's two kickoffs gone off and now try another, now start hitting the, zone, the, mm. the, the side that's yeah. a bit open. So you have a plan, you're predicting Dublin might sort out that plan and now you have another one. I'm surely this is, Kerry have to start thinking yeah. like this, right? And, and think how much of a relief it'll be. Like it might not work all the time, but if you can get one kick out, if, if Mayo had got one ball dead during those 12 minutes, everything would have changed. Probably still would have lost the game, but they wouldn't have conceded 2-6 in 12 minutes. They had seven kickouts in a row. And Dublin were just hounding them. If they had got one ball from an overload or whatever and got it dead at the other side, then they could have attacked a kickout as well. Yeah, no, exactly. So the other one then is going long, um, an overload between the 45 and the 65. So, like, I mean, it, it probably, we, we can see here on the graph that kind of being illustrated. But this is, uh, well, sure, I'll leave that one with you, Conan. Yeah, like, so this is one, I'm not sure if Shane Ryan is fully capable of doing he's got a nice kick he's accurate I don't know how long he can go and it's not even about going long because I think you said it before if you try to go long even over Dublin's midfield the wall can can move back like the, they're all the trajectory of the ball it's a bit like a hurling in, a sweeper in hurling always landing to where always being there for yeah. the ball it's because the ball hangs so long yeah, you can yeah. get across yeah. you know so a long kick to midfield might be a little bit more difficult, you know. So I think the trajectory is the most important. So I thought of Rory Bacon, he could probably do it. Stephen Cluxton could do it. And Sean Patton could probably this do it. This is driving it over the wall. Driving it over those four players who are lined up in the middle of the pitch. And it's, again, knowing that Dublin are going to press 12 players up. So Kerry should have three men and a half forward. Should have two spare men on the other side yeah. of the wall. If they keep two half forwards there, there's nobody picking them up. Dublin are going to bank that they can get back in time. So if you can drive it long over the wall, like I think, like say McCarthy and Howard will still manage to get back and compete, but you'll have a wing forward coming in there as well. So it should be three v two over a good trajectory, and you might end up having to fight for a break. You might not reach the wing forward on his own but you should have a man over if you can get it over it and use the wing forward use the wing forward use that extra yeah. wing forward that they have they're nearly on the other 45 those wing forward it needs to be a very long kick right yeah. it yeah. really does a long Better. driven kick yeah. at least the competition for the ball is taking place close to Dublin's 45 as opposed yeah. to yeah. closer to Kerry's because they, you know that's that's what they, you know just at the end of it all sometimes they'll just want to get it out of there yeah. like Mayo couldn't do that and then the problem was is that the ball kept going dead on Robbie Henley so Dublin were still in that position and Mayo never got that reprieve that you <laughs> yeah. mentioned yeah they couldn't get back out the other one is another obvious one is going man on man so Dublin are in zones so instead of 
buzzing around trying to get away from them, stand beside them. Yeah. So now it's man on man. So now if you go short, you know, there is more of a temptation for that man to have to actually follow you rather than just stay in the zone. Yeah, like you instantly take the zonal press away from away them because you've made it man so, on man. So in a weird way, it's your kick out but you were marking the Dublin press. Yeah, like so, and that's <laughs> it's it. There, it's yeah. just flipping uh, it back around. And so, if you know again, Dublin are bringing twelve men forward, then you bring twelve men back. You no longer have your wing forward, but you set up in the exact same formation as Dublin. If it's four five three or four four four, then you just occupy each of those players, and then it's going to be an individual battle. But you know that Dublin want to keep their big lads in the middle. Like that's where they want to keep the the, the backs, the sort of backbone of this whole thing. So technically, you have a free shot of one of your big men. So David Moran can go wherever you want them to go because I Dublin getcha. will you instantly want their big men there. Yeah. So you can bring David Moran down and place him in Niall Scully's zone. And it's again, it's a 50-50, but you fancy Moran over Scully. And again, it'll work once or twice until Fenton yeah. follows him. But like, I mean, again, it's making yeah. Dublin think. It's making Dublin... Let's, let's repeat this. This is so predictable that no, there is no tactic that's predictable should work. Am I right <laughs> or wrong? In any other part of the game, something that's very obvious will be torn apart or will be figured out right so why is this yeah. allowed to just dominate you when think think yeah. of ways yeah. around it it's sort of the same if you, like Dublin coming up against all those blanket defences so predictable they knew what Tyrone were bringing it, and it took knew, them a few years yeah. to figure this out <laughs> but yeah. then they knew what it was coming and they knew how to get around it so like, again Kerry know that Dublin are going to do this so they should figure out a way to get around it and I think those are suggestions that they can use at the very least it'll give them a chance of getting some ball and I think yeah. they could get it and you said about Fenton following Moran and to say half back but then the, the wall's no longer the wall as mm. because Fenton's not there anymore you know so yeah. again that's messing up but it's just asking them a question yeah it's making them think it's turning a good tactic of theirs maybe potentially back around them again because you know it's coming and if you know it's coming you've had enough time to think and uh, you know it's very obvious and it was a great piece it was such a good piece Alan Brogan texted me yesterday and said tell Conan that was a really good piece um, there mu- he must have some inside information <laughs> like that was obviously a joke and he can't get any information out of it like or, there must be a mole in the Dublin camp but uh, funny talking about Alan Brogan he was writing in the Independent recently or in the Herald I think I'm not sure I think he's finished in, in the Independent he says um, he's talking about Jim Gavin at half time and the Dublin dressing room which we don't hear too much about and it's actually confirms some stuff we've speculated on on the show here he says every match I've played for Dublin the exact same thing happened at half time regardless of the first how, how the first half had played out the backs have a chat about the first half the forwards have a chat about the first half then the defensive coach Declan Darcy um, has a chat with the squad and delivers key messages he feels they need then Jason Sherlock does the same thing from an attacking perspective then Jim speaks he doesn't say what Jim says imagine I'd say Jim whispers um, he doesn't raise his voice and he doesn't bang tables which will come as a surprise to absolutely no one But this is the important thing. He says, people might throw their eyes up to heaven when Jim says this Dublin team is player led. But I can testify uh, to the fact uh, that it is. And Jim is happy um, with what the players, if Jim is happy with what the players have come up with between themselves and the coaches, he'll let that, he'll let them at it for the second half. Isn't that interesting that Mm. Jim Gavin really doesn't say he's a facilitator for no reason. Like I I think he is. And he definitely commands respect. He definitely gets an unbelievable um, team in place uh, professional uh, gets the players attitudes right has that fear factor of them can't drop their performance or you know they'll be replaced all that is brilliant management but I, I think that a, a, an excellent part of his management is that he's not 
being a dictator and he does listen to players and that's a very modern kind of way of managing. Yeah, that's exactly what I expected. And like I remember, like after the Mayo game, people were saying, geez, Jim Gavin must have read them the riot act at halftime. And I'm thinking, no, he probably didn't. Probably just the, the same thing. There is an absence of panic. That's it. Just, like we talk about process being kind of an overused, a bit of a cliche, whatever, but that's what Dublin do. It's just they go through the same process every time at halftime. And that is exactly how I envisaged um, the, the dressing room at halftime. But it's not just that in terms of his facilitator. We're talking about um, Kerry have to come up with different plans for the kickouts. And that's because it's not necessarily the that Jim Gavin is telling them, you know, or sending Jason Sherlock on and saying, you have to do this. Occasionally he does. But the players themselves will find a solution without having to be told. And that's the culture that Jim Gavin has has developed over the years, that the players are at the level where they can feel they can sort it out themselves without having to rely on on anyone from the outside. Yeah, I did some analysis on Dublin before when I did a show on Air Sport. And it's a lot easier when you actually have the visuals. And the analysis was when Keane Sullivan started playing as a sweeper in 2015, and it was at a league game against Kerry. So Keane Sullivan was dropping off. Um, I think it was Johnny Buckley was centre forward. So Keane Sullivan was in his comfort zone, let him on. Buckley was dropping into midfield and he was sweeping. So Evan Fitzmaurice spotted this in the game and obviously said Keane Sullivan has a free role here. So put Darren O'Sullivan on Keane Sullivan. So now Keane Sullivan has to run around after Darren because he's too dangerous. And now I have to follow him. So then there's a break in play and the camera behind the goal picks all this up brilliantly. There's a break in play, someone down injured and Keane O'Sullivan goes running up to James McCarthy and starts talking to him. And I was speculating that Keane O'Sullivan saying, here, look, I'm on Darren now. I can't drop off. Will you watch him? And in the very next play, Johnny Buckley was led off into midfield. James McCarthy picked up Darren O'Sullivan and Keane O'Sullivan dropped. And mm. it was almost like, just look how... Jim Gavin didn't make that swap. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So players can absolutely figure things out like this. And it was just seeing it unfold of a players figuring it out on the field in such an obvious way. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I do think that the Dublin players are a very, very smart bunch. And that's not taken away from Jim Gavin in any way. Oh, no. And he's the one creating all this yeah. environment and facilitating it. But yeah, Alan's piece was interesting. It was like... Um, Almost reminded me of an American football dressing room where you have the forwards talking to each other and the defenders sometimes in different parts of the changing room. And I think when you break into those smaller groups, it, it does uh, create a, a culture of like more accountability. Like, you know, when you're in a group of six defenders, it's like there's no hiding place then. And the same with the forward. It's like you're not just sitting as part of a team and keeping your head down and nodding along. It's, yeah. mm. it's six people and six people actually thinking... What are we doing wrong? Here? Yeah, it wouldn't be unusual for backs and forwards to break away. I'd yeah. say. Have you seen I've that? Never, yeah, yeah, yeah but not, often, no. oftentimes the backs will say, "Well, we're got no protection from the forwards." Yeah. And the, <laughs> the forwards will say, "Well, there's no ball coming in." Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it's to avoid that conflict. <laughs> Do your job back yeah. there. <laughs> so Aidan O'Matney has been talking um, on Paddy Power. And he is talking about the Kerry media mafia. So we've seen a little bit about the of the Kilkenny media mafia, mafia this week, and, and they all coming to the support of Richie Hogan and all saying that it's not a red card, even though it's a pretty much blatant red card. But anyways, Aidan O'Matney is denying because a lot of people were saying this is Kerry cute tourism. With this is with the Goff situation, which we've covered already. But he's saying, no, there's no, maf- there's no mafia against it. It's just lads giving their opinion on it. Like, it's no different to Dublin giving their opinion on the final as well. He says, look, we're, uh, we weren't out there trying to do a media witch hunt to put pressure on him. It was, ju- um, it was just me being asked a question. I think Eamon Fitzmaurice gave his opinion on it as well. It's not like we have a WhatsApp group saying, here, we need to do this, whatever. And I, I agree with this because remember the time with Lee Keegan 
turned out to be a hashtag things Lee did and it was the Dublin Mafia at that time mm. trying to put pressure on Lee Keegan's uh, marking of Dear McConnelly and there was nothing wrong with it at all. There was two of them at it and it was a great battle. But I don't think Dublin have a ma- media mafia either. I was saying at the time, this is very simple. It only takes one to float mm. an idea. Then it becomes a news headline. Then every columnist will write about it and everyone will be asked about it. And now it becomes a thing. You only need to float one. It only needs to be orchestrated by one. All the other pundits don't need to be contacted because it's their job to comment on something. Mm. That, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it only took Eamon Fitzmaurice to float that out there whether he wanted to float it out there or whether it just came off the cuff, this wasn't orchestrated by Kerry in any sh- shape or form, no more than the Dublin one was. I think Paul Clark actually started it and I think that was the, the Lee Keegan thing yeah. and I think that was orchestrated. But sure, all the rest of them were just, oh, she's just a great talking point because <laughs> you're, look- you're looking for talking points yeah. to write about. So this, this then became a huge thing. So I think you just need to float one. You just need one lad to yeah, float but this. The problem with Kerry is that there's so many people, so many ex-Kerry players that if you float an idea, you're getting probably... 15 articles it, like you have the three O'Shea's Mike Quirk uh, Bomber List and Pat Spillan so if they're all commenting on it that becomes about 20 which dominates the agenda for the week yeah. I, no I agree I, that's, I, I what don't you're, that's what you're missing in Mayo well, you, that's the problem just, we, we, well, we got David Brady John Casey <laughs> John Casey no <laughs> yeah you're just not coming up against no, the might of Kerry it. there eh? <laughs> <laughs> so that's it so like let's forget about this ma- it's such over analysis lads isn't there to think that the media then are analysing the media to say that this is <laughs> an orchestra you know what I mean? It's yeah. just over analysis, I think. Yeah, and you're right, and that's what happens like in, on the news beat then as well. Like that's what's current, and that's what everyone's talking about. So it makes sense for a journalist to then try and get yeah. a latest line on it. And that's it. It's a whole snowball effect. It's a whole snowball effect. <laughs> yeah. So really, you just don't. You just need to float it out there. The problem with Mayo, they'll float it out there. Only two lads know, will respond yeah. to this, <laughs> yeah. and then all the other one will stay away from it or <laughs> completely debunk it. <laughs> you do need a good media. Yeah, maybe you do need big the time. media mafia that, to pick plan, up on it. <laughs> so they're all innocent but they're still a mafia yeah. they're still a big we're crowd. developing them underage now and the plan is 10 years time we're going to have a serious mafia stable bring them into media training and stuff <laughs> yeah. and just get a few more maybe that's the next step for Mayo get more national keep, keep it hush hush that's yeah. the plan but I don't want to say too much about <laughs> like, it you know, Andy Moore retiring you might see it as a bad thing but if he goes in what and a gets a column yeah. Yeah, Keith get, Higgins yeah. it's coming like the boys are coming now. Like they're, almost, they're yeah. almost ready get more in on the Sunday game and set that agenda <laughs> straight off Chris Barrett another one <laughs> Chris Barrett is coming up yeah. in the show yeah very soon um, Stephen O'Brien we're not going to spend any time on this lads it's just a bit of news it actually came out the day after we were talking about it I think um, it came out very soon after he got the, the third black that he's okay to play the final and that's fantastic just another little bit of news um, before we get to Chris Barrett is Ricey McManaman looks like he is going to get the Fermanagh job uh, Dom Corrigan who had it before and Kieran Donnelly they withdrew from the race so it looks like um, it looks like uh, Joe McMahon we love Joe McMahon on the show and Paul McIver, who used to mark Kilku. He looks like he's going to be on the management ticket. So it'll be in- interesting to see how Ricey approaches Fermanagh. We know he's in with Rory Gallagher, who has got a very distinct uh, way of playing. Whether Ricey moves on from that and maybe brings back Tomás Corrigan and these yeah. different forwards and actually goes and plays to maybe Fermanagh's uh, attacking uh, instincts. If Paul McIver would be a serious coup, I, I, we were talking about the Derry job a while back and I mentioned him as one of the favourites for it. Right. So if, if Rice is getting him in his backroom team, like that's like he's really respected in Derry, he's Brian's son. 
he's managed Arbo in Tyrone, so maybe like Ricey knows him, you know, in the Tyrone circle. Yes, that's a very strong management team then on paper anyways. Another bit of news is poor Stephen O'Neill uh, is gone from Tyrone. I don't know if this is on the back of Watergate. <laughs> <laughs> How can you stay with a team after trying to poise and carry players? <laughs> His position was untenable. Yeah, Tyrone just hung over to dry here. Like, Tyrone washed their hands yeah. off the whole thing. He said he hasn't got the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. So that's interesting in that uh, Peter Donnelly, who's their strength and conditioning, he's gone to Ulster Rugby. And I thought that was an interesting one as well, because when you look at Tyrone, from a strength and conditioning point of view, they're up there with Mayo and Dublin. And I'm not sure every county is up there and he's gone to Ulster Rugby. You know, Brian Cullen's come from Leinster Rugby Mm. to Dublin and Dublin are on a different level as far as I'm concerned. So I think strength and conditioning expertise and getting really good ones. I think that's really important that the, the big counties, uh, Barry Solon obviously was with uh, Mayo, Mayo yeah. and he was with Leash when Leash I was too. there and he was very good. Um, that's a really important appointment now, more so than ever before, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Donnelly had been there for years and Donnelly like, went into the strength and condition not long after being a player himself. So I suppose there would have been a relationship with a lot of those teams. But just to, just to kind of re-emphasize that point, like... Tyrone, Mayo, Dublin, the Kerry, Kerry, even like, and Kerry brought it in. I Kerry remember only under, getting there, yeah. But Kerry, Kerry started when when it was Pat Flanagan, I think, was brought in under Jack O'Connor. This is mid two thousands, and Kerry were a level above because they had their strength and conditioning at a level above what was there at the time, and that's been brought on a level since, and it's been embraced by it's been embraced by the big teams, and it's only when it's when it comes to Crow Park that we've really noticed for the last few years. I think Roscommon have been at the receiving end of a couple of hidings, and they've actually looked, you know, they haven't looked at the same level S and C wise as the other teams. Yeah. So, and it takes years to build up, and if you're const- I would imagine if you're constantly changing the S and C ticket, they're probably coming with different ideas and stuff like that. Whereas what's common amongst the bigger teams as well is that there's been consistency there through Barry Solon for Mayo. Um, Brian Cullen for Dublin and, and and Peter Donnelly for Tyrone. So you'd imagine that he got a really attractive package with Ulster Rugby full time professional team. So um, that you know the, their replacement will be really important too. It will. And like I mean, I remember reading before about the All Blacks. You see, strength and conditioning is really important because rugby went through the same uh, evolution and it went from big massive fellas and the All Blacks are market leaders in everything to do with rugby. Mm. And they started moving away from the big, huge, muscle-bound players to more um, agility mm. kind of base. Strength still, but more power and agility. And they have the connection with Dublin and the AIG connection. And they meet each other. At, they've, meet, they've met each other at photo launches. You know, when Dublin mm. meets the All Blacks. And I'm sure there's a meeting of minds there, maybe expertise being passed on. Because I see Dublin on a different strength and conditioning level to everybody else. Yeah. I nearly think the, the strength and conditioning coach should be independent to the manager. Like, the manager comes two years, three years... Like this should almost be a coordinated ah, yeah. Brian, but, but that's Brian Cullen like I mean Brian Cullen's there as an employee yeah. of the Dublin County Board regardless you so know as, as long as it's in tandem with a style of play as well like you know because the, the strength and conditioning might you know he might be looking for more athletic players or stuff like that so there has to be a, like a, a, a relationship there I would imagine a correlation yeah, yeah there has to be some sort of yeah I take your point but you're right Conan that's the way it's going that mm. the county board employ a strength and conditioning coach and they yeah, work throughout yeah. all the ages and obviously there is some crossover with what a manager wants as well anyways uh, we want to get to Chris Barrett so there's only one uh, one one talking point left and that's oh yeah Tomas O'Shea was tweeting about this so there is a guest house um, and it is a pub formerly owned by Mick O'Dwyer and it's been turned into a bed and breakfast um, dedicated to Mick O'Dwyer. This is like hell for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. Mick's Mick's all right. So all the beds, all the the B and B rooms are numbered. Um, 
1959, 1962, 1969, 70, 75, 78, 79, 80, 81, no 82 there of course, <laughs> um, 84, 85 and 86, that's one bedroom number for every one of his All-Ireland wins as a player and a manager. The walls of the halls and bar restaurant or rooms are completely covered with uh, photographs and memorabilia of Kerry's golden years so anyone uh, wants to go down and have a look at that I don't know why I'm giving them the promo maybe um, I thought it was I thought it was interesting I thought there might have been a leash room here somewhere or yeah, Colin no, Parkinson picture it's, it's not just so. the bar and restaurant room I just had a quick look on, on its website so every like it's, it's a 12 rooms Every room has the result, uh, the year, the result and the attendance written in pretty big letters above the bed. So you really want to be a Kerry fan or else you'd, you'd, you'd probably no place there. You probably else. would, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, you probably would want to be a Kerry fan. Then again, Mikko appeals to everyone. That's He's got too, that yeah. legendary status yeah. where you might want to go down. You might want to go down and kind of maybe bed hop. Maybe get a different room every <laughs> night and actually get the experience of every, have a 13 night holiday and just <laughs> book into a different. Yeah. Uh, we're talking nonsense here. Let's <laughs> let's get into Chris Barrett. Come here, I want you to talk us through the goal you scored in the county final after 15 seconds. I want you to tell me when you had goal on your mind. Yeah, you probably had a few 15 seconds experiences yourself. <laughs> uh, Chris, welcome to the GAR. Thanks, Colin. Great to be here. Yeah, exactly. Come here. I, I suppose we're two weeks on from the Dublin game now. You're a very busy man, which we're going to get to. You have a busy routine. Mm-hmm. Um, do you move on easily from matches? You know, are you? Is it, have you kind of parked that and moved on? Um, I think at this stage, yeah, you kind of have to. I don't think you can fully park it. Um, the week after is always very strange. It's like a, it's just like a full stop. And from training all year, and especially the the schedule we have we had in the last, I suppose, two months. Just the next week is just okay. What the hell am I going to do with my time now? You've too uh, much spare time. You've too man. much time, and you're thinking about the match, obviously, and just thinking about, you know, what you're going to do, cut it on differently. But um, no, I'm fairly quick to move on. You can't really dwell on it that much. Um, so it's very much. It's in the it's in the the rearview mirror at this stage. Yeah, I suppose because like I mean, it was a competitive game all around. Just to quickly talk about that that Dublin game, it was that twelve minutes that kind of ended the game, really. Yeah, I guess the first half kind of went along the lines that we've been hoping that it would go. Um, like we went into the game very confident. I'm, you know, I remember when the week before the leading up to it, I was just buzzing. I was delighted to get back get back in there against them and get another chance at it. Um, and felt very confident going in. But first half went along the lines as I said. Um, I think we defended well, set up our structures well. We probably didn't, I suppose, get maybe. I think we didn't get the numbers in attack maybe that we had hoped and maybe get another few points on the board. But going in at half time, definitely happy enough. But as you said, just after half time, um, that 12 minutes really did kill it. And I haven't watched it back yet, but it'll probably take a while. Um, Is there any regrets that you didn't go down injured or someone didn't? You know, those old tricks or the old contact lenses trick we see goalkeepers using and stuff. Because I know from experience when Dublin score a goal, your brain scrambles. The stadium's alive, and you you might not make the decisions that you would when your brain isn't scrambled. You know? Yeah, it's it's really the goals that kill you. We even said yeah. at halftime, look, guys, let's let's keep let's make sure we keep them out. Um, don't let any goals in. But I think it was just, I think it was a mental lapse of concentration, really, on our behalf. We made a few mental mistakes and mental errors. Um, and the thing about Dublin is they just, they just capitalise on it. Um, and we knew that we'd have to be, you know, on top of our game for you know seventy minutes to beat them. And it's just, I don't know, as I said, I look back on it, but 
I had a few stills kind of sent to me from the goals and stuff, and we had men back. We had yeah. the structures it's in on place. the wrong side, maybe. Yeah, for but it was just you know, it's small things. I know when you say it's small things and you get beaten by ten odd points, uh, um, it doesn't, it mightn't stack up. But you know, we had our chances in that time too, um, and if we had taken one or two of them, it might have been different. You know, um, but yeah, it's it's a strange one to look back on. Yeah, it's kinda, it, it was very much. Uh, it was a complete flip-flop between I don't think I've ever been involved in a game where there was such a change in momentum that yeah. quickly like usually you'll have your pockets but yeah and w- like will you look back on it on outside of team analysis would you put yourself through watching it um, I don't generally do a whole lot of looking back no. to be honest not the you. games you lose right no no I did I, I watched the actual I watched the 2017 game only two months ago um, yeah but you were very good in that though I was I was decent <laughs> yeah I still I still have mistakes but I usually I kind of pride myself the way I play. I like to know coming off the pitch and I usually know the mistakes I've made myself. So it's rare that someone will come up to me after a match and say, Chris, you did X, Y and Z wrong. And I'd be like, well, I know I did that wrong because it usually sticks in my mind. So I'd usually have that memory anyway. So that looking back on it, it doesn't really add to my recollection of it. Usually I usually know what, I, what I've done wrong, yeah. what I could have done better. So looking back on it, but uh yeah, I'll, I'll leave that for a while now. I wouldn't, I wouldn't subject myself to that for a while. I'm going to actually talk to you a little bit about the art of defending because like all the dispossessions you made in that game and your ability to do it and the Mayo's defence in general's ability to do it is kind of what separates you for a lot of teams. So I'll talk to you a little bit about that later. But I wanted to just quickly mention about the because in that 12 minutes we saw the Dublin press and we've spoken about this on the show because Conan did a piece on it um, earlier. And like Mayo have their press, Kerry... Dublin's press is probably taken a little bit from Kerry, which, who did it against them in 2016. And, you know, adding extra players to it. I suppose Dublin go into zones and I'm just wondering, looking out or when you have a kick out and you're coming short for it and, you know, if you get it, there could be two closing in on you. You know what I mean? What's it like to be in that situation? I think the kickouts in general have been a very, I suppose, of the last few years, they've come to the fore. Like previously, it was just kick it out long. And there's been a few iterations since then of what's the optimum kick out. Um, and I know for us, it's usually, okay, first option is can we get it as long as possible when we're, I suppose, when we're making our own kick outs. Can we get it as long as possible so that we bypass some of their players so that you're setting up an attack in the midfield yeah. when someone hasn't got the chance to move back and get their, you know, eight, nine, ten people behind the ball. So from our side of things, in the on our own kickouts, that's what we would always try to do: try and get the ball down. And if it's a case where it's a fifty-fifty ball, well, then you kind of have to decide: well, is it actually better that fifty-fifty percentage-wise that you get a shot off? So the, the the percentages of you know getting a shot off, getting a short in your own full backline versus winning it out the pitch, there's a huge difference in it. So yeah. it's kind of gone from oh, short kickouts are great to now realizing: okay, well, actually they're good and all, but do you get the return from it? So we're kind of focused on getting further out. And in terms of defending, um, there's probably a couple of different types of kickouts in a game. You've one where it's a set piece. So generally, I think most teams at the, at the moment, you, you, you would separate the set piece kickout versus the open From play, play kickout. From yeah, play, yeah. yeah. So if you have an open play kickout, you could have people scrambling. You could have it's you know, all a turnover. Place, it's all yeah. over the place. Someone kicks the ball over from the right-hand side. The keeper comes out. There's a man free straight away. So within that, you kind of have to decide, okay, you know, am I going to run 50 yards and dispossess this guy? You know, is there any point in that? I'm going, am I going to take myself out of the game? Uh, or do I, you know, create a line maybe around 45 or 65 so that at least there's not a spilling of players up the pitch and our defenders are under pressure? So that kind of has to be 
that's for the forwards to really decide. Are we set up here at the time? Are we quick enough to react that, you know, if I'm close to you as a forward and you're the defender, I just take you and I can trust my man that he's going to take the other guy? Um, or you could all be set up. It could be a patient attack and there's six people there anyway. So then you're like, okay, well, let's, let's press. It's on even it's from on. play. Yeah. yeah, even from play. And then the set kick out, I think a lot of teams now, uh, from the set kick out, you will always see that there is that press. And you, it has kind of morphed into the, yeah, the four, four, two, and you're bringing up, or it's kind of maybe three. It's three, three, two, but you get your wing backs involved as well, so yeah. they kind of push up, and it's just really the 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 point of it is to so that the goalie looks out and he just doesn't see the space anywhere. Yeah, um, and you'd have Tony McEntee somewhere in there Tony as well. Tony McEntee as well, exactly. Yeah, with, a, with an orange jacket on. Um, yeah, Tony was a good man for for dragging his dragging himself off the field. Yeah, but, uh, as Eamon Fitzmaurice said. That yeah, time. exactly. But. Um, yeah, that's it's that's it's probably that's the way it's broken down. I think people kind of, you know, you talk about the zonal press and the man mark, and I think it's more uh, focused towards what type of kick out it is. Is it really quick, or is it a, a set one where we can actually push push up? Yeah, uh, and that's where Kerry, I think, was a twenty sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. They did that really high press. Against but Dublin. It, yeah, it was always after a free kick. If you if you look back at it, it's generally after a free, free kick. They got four. They got four. They left their half backs. They make they made them push up, and they were confident that. If even if we did lose it, we can turn around and we can run back, and we still won't be under too much pressure. So yeah, it's it's a big part of the game now. It gets practiced a lot. It's a, it's an interesting one with the zonal players, and most teams are doing the zonal now. Is you know when the opposition is running, the their halfbacks are all running around trying to get free, and the zonal team doesn't really care about them because they're staying in their zones and they're actually running towards them. Mm. So then when the ball goes long, the halfbacks have been running around stupidly, so they're not actually in under the break. Like yeah. all all. all all this kind of attempts to get free is actually working against your own your own team because the zonal team doesn't care about these runs. Yeah, it can be. I guess like one way of of counteracting the zonal is obviously a double up or uh, you know you get one or two people in one zone. That's generally how you try overload, to try, yeah. overload it. Overload it. Generally try to counteract it, but you have to have worked on that so that the players know where it's going to go. Um, and kind of going back to what I said about going long and going fifty fifty. If you can go long your players know that it's going to go there and you can get the bodies around the ball, then that's obviously the optimum thing. But as you said, you know, your halfbacks and cornerbacks running around like flies trying to get into space, whereas they know it's going to be zoned, it can be difficult at times. Yeah, it can be a little bit confused. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, the year, uh, the the routine you had recently. Like, I mean, and it was a bit crazy for you. You obviously lost to Roscommon and then you went down the road. You were in Newry, you were in Limerick, you were down Killarney, you were in Croke Park. And I was reading your piece in the Irish Times recently where you kind of spelled out your weekly routine. Like, how are you doing this? Um, it, it takes planning. Um, so to, actually, we'll go through it then because anyone mightn't have read the piece in the Irish Times. So you plan your week on a Monday pretty much around what your work schedule is and how you can plan your work in and around knowing you're going to Mayo on a Tuesday, knowing your gym work, knowing that you're going back to Mayo on a Friday. You only have Thursday off. Um, I suppose you can take it up from there. Yeah, um, and I have the guys in, in the management team pestered as well weeks in advance wondering, is it going to be Tuesday or Wednesday? And they're like, well, why right. do you need to know that? Well, you know, I need to make sure that I can get off that, that afternoon. But yeah. for the last few weeks, um, it, it, the schedule is probably a little bit different in that we're playing matches um, every weekend. And funnily, the more matches you play, it's actually easier on the schedule because it's, a, it's once during the week generally. So it might be a Wednesday. Uh, and then you meet up at the weekend on a Saturday maybe or a Friday night. So you're not, there's not as much drag out of your time in terms of from work. Whereas start of the year when you're training on your Tuesday or Wednesday and your Friday uh, and then your Sunday again, there's more traveling. Um, 
but in terms of yeah, in terms of setting out the week, it's really. It's really, yeah, sitting down on a Monday morning, um, work, I suppose, comes first, it has to, um, and scheduling out all your meetings, what you need to do, key tasks, prioritising, um, and then it's usually a gym, maybe on a Monday evening or a recovery session, you've training then maybe on a Tuesday, you do a proper gym session on a Wednesdays and you're kind of, you know, a bigger load than what you'd have on the Monday. Thursday nights is, is free night, um, Thursday night is date night, and then Friday, if it's a normal week, it'll be down home um, on a Friday afternoon, leaving around three o'clock. Yeah, so that's it, and on Tuesday you leave work at three o'clock as well, so you have to go in earlier, your bosses, like, do they understand, you know? Yeah, it's 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 really about managing my own time, I, I'm lucky in, in the job that I'm in, it's I kind of, you know, I manage my own diary, manage right. my own projects, so you have autonomy there to, to make sure that everything is done, and it's it, it's down on me to make sure that the work is done, so yeah. if it's that's coming in earlier, or staying in late or doing a bit of work on the bus or sending a few emails um, you know it's it's just about getting it done and in fairness there's um, there's that responsibility on you to make sure that it, it works um, but also you're thinking about you know you're thinking about sleep you're thinking about diet you're thinking about you know the lead up to the match am I getting enough food in here like you know you've you go to a cafe here in Dublin city centre and you get your sandwich but it has about half the meat that you need in it like little <laughs> things like that so you kind of just need to you need to prepare properly for it. Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting you saying when you're coming home from training, maybe on a Tuesday or a match, that you're on the bus and you're trying your best not to sleep because if you get that hour of sleep, you'll get home and a half one and you'll just be staring at the ceiling. Yeah, that's that's me, I guess. I'm, maybe some of the other guys are, are different, um, which I think they are, but I try. I've even started not sleeping at all on the bus and even on the way down. Um, I'm big in the sleep, all the sleep psychology and the benefits of the health benefits of sleep. Um, and a lot of the studies are saying after three o'clock, a nap isn't of any use to you. So it's really? kind of trying to stay awake so that you can at least get maybe six six hours or so that night because you're getting back at one. You're probably up at seven. So if you can get a good block, you know, and then make it up maybe the next night. Yeah. But, um, but even if you're reading those books, like six wouldn't be enough with your work, with your work and training load, would it? No, I think the, the, the general is eight hours or at least to try and give yourself... Eight hours of a sleep opportunity. Eight hours for a regular person, not eight hours for someone who's training the way you're training. Yeah, and it is it is huge. Like, I mean, I when you're, I guess when you're training so much and you're kind of at very good, you know, decent physical shape, any little changes in your, even, you know, I notice if I've, I'm in work and I don't get enough food that day and I go to the gym, then my output is just, you know, your energy is down and you can see it straight away. It's the same with sleep. If you can't get the at least, you know, the seven, eight hours a night, like it does impact you. And I guess that's, that is an issue. Traveling up and down to Dublin, definitely you are losing out on, on the sleep you might be getting, but there's nothing really you can do about it. No. It's, it's, you're not going to move squash mayo closer to Dublin. You you mentioned uh, Thursday's date night. So your poor wife pretty much gets to see you properly one night per week. Yeah. How are you getting away with this? Yeah. Um, I guess she's a very understanding woman. In fairness, I have to give her a shout out. Um, it's... Yeah, like I wouldn't be able to do it the way I do it without her and her her help and her, her support. And uh, it's yeah, it's Thursday nights are generally kind of leave aside for for some bit of a, you know, some bit of family time. Yeah. Um, but you know, I suppose Monday nights as well in the gym. Like you can come home, go to the gym for an hour, and you still kind of see each other. But what I find the hardest is the weekends. Is so Dervla works. She would work every second weekend. She works. Um, she's a pharmacist, so she does a lot of shift work. So I'm going home on the Friday night and I'm staying down in Belmullet over Saturday and then back up on Sunday. So it's kind of hard for her. And then any any weekend she's not working, she's working till Friday at, until 10 o'clock. So it's hard for her even to travel down. So right. it's it's the weekends. So you miss out on weekends together as well. Oh, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, if you've, you know, if you're, 
at home and you've, you've met someone from home, it's kind of easier. But yeah, you're, you're, you're away from each other at weekend as well. So it's, um, yeah, it's tough. But in fairness, as I said, she's, she's been brilliant. She's right. a great sport. Okay, she won't be sad when, you're, when you eventually do retire. Maybe. Yeah, in, yeah. In, <laughs> sorry. But like even, even given that routine though, Chris, like, I mean, with children, that would be impossible. I don't know if you have children, no, have children, children yet. No. You're recently married. But when children come along, like that's not... Yeah, that, that's... I'd imagine that would definitely be a, an end to it. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's yeah, it's. Um, but do you think it's like? See, we're, I'm painting a picture here, which is a really dramatic schedule because you're obviously working in Dublin and living in Mayo. So this is at an extreme end of the scale, yeah. you know. So well, we're at the dog um, discussion at the moment, and I'm trying to push that one off as much. <laughs> oh well, as that's possible. the that's the tester. I was given the dog experiment before the children came. And really? I was out. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a test. All right. Okay. I'm trying to push that back <laughs> as much as possible. So uh, we'll see how long I can push that off for. Yeah, but like I mean. Do you think it's, I don't know, like for Mayo, this is always going to be the case. Like you get buses, there's so many of you from Dublin, you get buses back to Mayo, um, you, you meet together and then travel down in bus. So that's the cost for the Mayo County Board. But even from, I saw James Horan talking about life-work balance. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be honest, you don't have much of a life-work balance at the moment, you know, during football season. Mm, no, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, um, so like, I mean, there's, there's no real solution around that because of geography, right? No, I don't think there is. Um, I guess if you were to look, be progressive in the Mayo County Board, you try and, you know, how do we get these guys jobs at home? But real, like, I'm in construction, like there's, you know, Dublin is the place to be. Like, so that's the yeah. decision I made uh, early days that I wanted to progress my career, I suppose, and Dublin was the place to do that. Um, you know, the, the County Board, like we should be, we should be pushing guys towards, you know, the, the, the Sligo ITs and the NUIG and the GMIT in terms of students as well. Um, but yeah, it's not going to change. Like we can't, we are from Mayo um, and Dublin is other ends of the county. There's no, that's not going to change. They have got, in fairness, the management team over the last couple of years since I've started. There's been a real knowledge gain in terms of the amount of sleep that you need and the times of rest you need so that they're not dragging you down as much as they were. They're, they realise that you, rest is as much as nearly as important as, you know, the team getting together and discussing tactics or training together. Yeah. So there would be, you know, there's the dial-in meetings uh, instead of everyone being in there. I like, thought that was interesting. I saw that. I have it highlighted here. So you're talking about back to the game at hand. This, this week started with a video conference um, for the team on Monday. So how does this work? So the guys meet at home for, excuse me, uh, guys meet at home for a gym session or a recovery session on a Monday. And this was due to the, I guess, the schedule, um, the seven matches in eight weeks, do their gym session. And then there's a, a meeting uh, to kind of set out the set out the, the week ahead, you know, a brief discussion maybe about who the opponents were. Um, and we would just, we would link in. We don't. You're dialed into we're it. We're dialed into it, yes. Yeah. So and on speakerphone or is it a bit more high tech uh, than that? Well, we don't. Skype? It's, not, it's kind of a Skype, like it's Google Hangouts. So right. it's, um, like we don't talk, we mute our microphones to listen to what's been said. Um, okay. You can type in if you want, but it's, um, they're short enough meetings, it's not, it's, it's really just a, a debrief type A debrief thing. and kind of look forward to the meeting the week ahead. But as is, it just goes, the management are, they're very conscious of, of the drain on our time and on our energy, I suppose, that the, that the travelling causes. So they're looking at ways to, to try and implement smarter ways of training and, and uh, meeting. Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting one. Definitely um, the the conference calls where you're yeah. not actually there. Jesus really moved on yeah, from my yeah, time. Like, it, I mean, yeah. crazy. So Paul Flynn was speaking recently and he didn't rule out the idea of players getting a percentage of gate receipts, right? So we know there's no real solution for you and the routine that you have and the drain on your time and stuff like that. Would, like... 
uh, a handshake from the GE at the end of the year to say, thank you very much. This is what you've earned, you know, as a percentage of what you've generated. Would that make the commitment easier? We know we do it for the love of the game, but has it gone to the point where what you're dealing with goes beyond love of the game and what you're trying to get, you know, you're giving up? Yeah, it's, I think it's it's the topic of question now. I do think, um, you know, and I mentioned it in the article, I think we have got to a stage where something has to be done. Um, I'm not sure if we want to retain the integrity of the GAA as an amateur status, an amateur organisation, which I think we should. I don't think there should be a move towards professionalism. It'll just ruin the whole... Um, the whole community ethos, the whole, you know, it's, it's all That's about full-time professionalism. That, you see, yeah, that won't exactly. happen. That won't happen. But, like, for me, I'm extremely lucky that, I, first of all, that I'm, you know, born in Mayo, a huge football county, and that I grew up in a time where we have excellent players and we have been competing for the last nearly 10 years now. So for me, the commitment, it's an easier decision to make. Do you know, I, I, I know that there's a high likelihood that I'm going to be involved in the biggest games at the end of the year. And that's a huge draw. Like, yeah. You know, you've played in the big games. Like it's, it's a buzz that you don't really get anywhere else. But I think it's it's for the guys that are not as lucky as that I've been for for teams that maybe start out the year that don't even have much of a chance of winning a provincial championship. So how do you make sure that that guy, you know, how do you make sure that he's incentivized not to go away to America for the summer or, you know, concentrate in his career, which I think you sh- everyone should be anyway. So there definitely needs to be something that... You know that promotes the competitiveness in the intercounty game. First of all, we don't want one or two teams or three teams, you know, heading off into the distance, and the rest of them just, you know, backing up um, because either the players don't commit or they don't have the resources or the funding. So I think it just needs a it needs some joined up thinking from from both the GA, the government, and the GPA as to how do we maintain the structures and integrity as it is, but be cognizant of the increased demands on players. And in terms of payments, I know. You know, that, that's one option, the gate receipts. Um, but The tax relief is another one that's been thrown It's just, around. I think, the GAA as an organisation, I think a lot of it, and rightly so, goes back into the grassroots and goes back into the, you know, the underage structures and funding for clubs. I think, you know, I think it's about 60 or 70 million of our turnover. Like, I think a lot of it comes from the gate receipts. Excuse me? 80% is gate receipts, I think, of the revenue the GAA makes. Is that high? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think... I think that that's rightly so. That should go back into the GA itself, but I just think there should be other there should be other ways of, of looking at it. And I do think that something from the government um, could be something to look at. Like there's, I think there's three million in, in grants from the government per year. Um, you know, could that be looked at in terms of you know some form of a relief? I'm not sure what the what the answer is, yeah. but, um, but I do think it needs to be more than just you know giving out that the GA are making so much money. The GA are an organisation that needs to feed, you know. Um, a lot of mouths a lot yeah. of mouths like yeah. and it's if you're taking that away from the board and oak structures then that's not the right thing to do but uh, like the benefit to the economy that the intercounty scene has um, I think it sometimes gets lost in translation between the GA and the government and I think it could be you know I think it someone just needs to sit down and try and trash out something that's good, the best for all sides you were making the point of like the obviously the match in Castle Bar and the Jesus I was there because I had been at a show in Westport on the Thursday night and I stayed down and I got to the game because it was at a loose end on the Saturday um, and I got there at three o'clock I had to park nearly two miles out the road crazy stuff crazy mm. crowds and the benefits for Castle Bar and the economy and like every match you know the pubs the shops the trains the buses all these things and you, like you're saying the benefits the economy. And this is for four or five months um, in all parts of Ireland. 
it really annoys me when you see people comparing it to Olympic athletes and they're amateur. You're not comparing like with like. They're not generating this type, you know, of money. So you can't start comparing an Olympic hopeful who's hoping to train in the future in the Olympics and be sponsored. Let's be honest, it won't mm-hmm. be amateur if they get to it the highest level. And you're comparing that where no one would realistically, no disrespect, watch them perform with GA intercounty players who generate millions upon millions. It's such a disingenuous comparison. Yeah, um, I think you're always going to get that. Um, and I, but I agree. I think I think the GA as an organisation, like it, it nearly embodies what Ireland is about. Like it's 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 worldwide now as well. Like the amount of views you have like James Carr's goal gets how many views on that was on crazy YouTube. yeah it was crazy but no I definitely agree I think the benefit it has um it, it needs to be weighed up and I think if you know if you wanted to do and let an economist go and do a, a review of the actual benefit um and that's leaving aside the even like the health benefits and the social benefits for as I said the young kids in Borden Oak that are all playing with each other like it's that's that's what it's all about and you know the intercounty scene is the funding structure for that like in reality, the gate receipts are the are the funding for the majority of the GA. So why wouldn't you incentivize those guys to to keep playing and to keep playing at the highest level? And and if you incentivize it, then hopefully it'll become you know even more competitive and there'll be better games and better quality games. So it's it's everyone wins really in my yeah. mind. You're selling me a bit more towards the the tax breaks rather than take the money off the GA. I was more like almost like the GA accepting you're doing this for us and you deserve something, you know, but I do accept the benefits to the economy yeah, as but, well. Yeah, so. but the GAA can, you know, they could act on your behalf as well. I mean, like they yeah. have, they have a lot of big partners there. Like why can't there be, you know, why can't there be a partnership with the insurance companies so that you get free car insurance or is there, you know, a partnership with SuperValue? Why can't that trickle down to the players so that, that they get some kind of an incentive for going to SuperValue and getting your, your shop free? Like, so I think yeah, there's yeah. a lot that can be done to make uh, the life of an intercounty player more appealing. And I think that's where I was coming from, that it's not a case of, oh, hand out, give me the money here. But I think it's a case to to improve our game and to keep it, um, to push it in the right direction, I do think, to increase competitiveness and to make sure we still have the best players playing the game, that we need to do something. Yeah, and maybe taking money off the GEA and it not going to clubs would be a PROG for players. You know, it might not go d- down too well with grassroots, that kind of yeah, approach. Yeah, that's, that's, that's my view. I think the club players are just like, we're, we all were club players to start with. So that needs to be, you know, it's 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 a, it's a cycle. So it needs to be put down in, into the grassroots, first of all, so that you can produce the inter-county players. And, but there is that, you know, you'll have the big Rogers that say, you know, what about the volunteer and the club that's not getting paid and he's doing it for the love of the game. But... In reality, like that volunteer might have a child that's benefiting from, you know, a, a development officer that's that's coaching them, that's getting paid from the GA, that is coming from, from the county team. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Come here. You made a comment about uh, James Horn. James is a confident guy, and we know that. Like he's confident, very confident. I was just wondering, like, say, obviously you won the league, and he, like his message to you, and he's always been confident, a really confident manager bordering on cocky but not in a bad way just supremely confident like how does he regroup yourselves when you lose to Roscommon you know because you would never have lost in Connacht under his management before and he's exuding this confidence and now you lose to Roscommon how does he how does how does he keep that confident persona but try and regroup the group that's a good question Um, I think I think James probably had to rethink after the Roscommon game as well um, as I said, he had kind of gone through the 
the 2011 to 2014 uh, time kind of steamrolling through Connacht. Yeah. Um, and maybe James came in thinking this is what's going to happen again. I'm just going to do, you know, a lot of what I did before, improve it a little bit and we're going to steamroll to Connacht and everything will be fine. So I'd say after that, I'd say he got a, he probably had a few hours or a few days of thinking, okay, well, you know, what what happened there and probably, it probably hit him a little bit, I'd imagine. Um, but I suppose his confidence comes a lot from the players that are in the room as well, which is kind of what he tries to portray and get across to us, that there's extreme talent, um, you know, within the Mayo dressing room. Like, we have some of the best players in my mind of all time. Uh, we've got countless all-stars. So his confidence is really in us as as people, and I think sometimes he thinks that we don't we don't see that ourselves and that it doesn't come out on the pitch. And that's really where, that's where he kind of starts with his management side of things, is making making us all aware of how good we can be. Um, and then I guess he, he needs to have, he needs to have confidence in his own views uh, as well. Like if you're not, if he's not clear on his own plan and his goals and what he's going to do, then it's very, very hard to portray that or onto the players. So um, that's something he's very good with, good at. He's, you know, he, he he forms his opinions and he kind of sticks with them. And but in fairness to him, which is you know a testament to him, he will listen to you as well. Like if you sit down or if you have suggestions, he'll listen to you. He'll usually say, "Forget it, forget <laughs> about it." But he'll kind of he'll do it in a way that you know you're nearly going away thinking, "Jesus, you know he might be right there." Like, but uh, he will listen and he kind of engage, which is um, which players want as well, especially when you've kind of some older guys in in the in the team that have been around the block that will have good suggestions to make. Like, I think it's important that the management team are, they're confident and they're in themselves that they can sit down and have that discussion and, and thrash it out with someone. Do you have to be careful with that? Like, I mean, if you want to talk to James, would you pull him aside at training, after training, wait around until everyone's finished, do you book an appointment, you know, and do you, then do you have to be careful, especially what happened with Connolly and Holmes, not to be over, you know, do you, would you have that in your head? I don't want to overstep the mark because an incorrect perception is out there, you know, that you try to dictate things back then. That, yeah, that's uh, we won't go into that. No, no, I'm not. I'm not day, trying to bring yeah, that. Up. No, but it's yeah. You have to be. It's just how to approach it. I guess if I had something that I'd really, you know, strongly believe, had something that I really believed in strongly that that might benefit us, then it'd be a phone call or a chat with James. Like I, it wouldn't be a case of bringing it out in front of the whole team. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, maybe when I was younger, I think I might have been a bit more like that and don't realize that you know it is to, to the detriment of the team that you might be kind of too strong in your opinions whereas you know as you get older you kind of realize a lot of the time you kind of you take a view on your own opinion first and you're like well is that actually the right thing for the team to actually even bring that up but um usually if it's if it's something to be said you'd pick up the phone you'd send a text message or you'd pull aside after training but uh in fairness that avenue is there which which is great okay and then he listened to you and tell you that you're wrong come here you, do you do a lot of work on uh defending like one-on-one defending because you're really good at it I know James Horan the last time he was over he he basically told me that you went back to a lot of the basic skills of the game you know like blocking tackling shooting off your left hand passing off both hands I presume he didn't go back to that this year but like it's in the first half against Dublin it was incredible you never see Dublin dispossessed like that you know so like just wondering how much work goes into that or has that been done before you know the last time he was there and it's just following through um, I think well, there's a couple of things to it. I think because of the way we play, you need to be able to do that. So you're put in those situations more often. Yeah. So 
I mean, you probably see this as well. Like, you have young guys coming out of, you know, young guys might be coming out of minor into a senior team and they're halfbacks. Everyone wants to be a halfback. Like, I was a halfback back in the day, like number five. And, you know, I came into the senior squad and very quickly got demoted to cornerback. But it takes time. Like, that, like going from a, a halfback or, or a wingback or someone that's more concentrating on going forward to actually someone that can mark someone takes time and it takes, it takes practice. Um, like, you look at my own clubmate, Owen O'Donoghue, who came in, Last year and played, um, played I think most of the league last year. But you could see in the games he just kept getting better and better because he was being exposed to marking the top players, but without that safety net behind him. So I think that has a lot to do with it. That you're kind of been trusted and you're thrust into it. Um, you're thrust into the moment and kind of you're you're thrown in the deep end and you gotta you gotta learn to swim. And it's the same in training. You're kind of marking without that sweeper or that level like of safety. Yeah. So. The best way to teach someone is within that environment, I think. Like we we had to do a lot of tackling, um, we did do a lot of tackling with with, with Donny Buckley. I guess would have been there for years, and he was you know a lot of tackling drills in terms of aggression. But it's hard to actually replicate the game. The game time. What I what I think you're really good at is like, and geez, you're taught this when you're under ten, under twelve is wait until they play the ball and, and that's when you come in with your tackle because you see a lot of players under this constant slapping and yeah. all they're doing is maybe you know, losing yeah, your footwork or your balance or whatever, and you're not going to really dispossess somebody holding it. It's just yeah. when they go to play it, that's when you slap the ball, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's and you probably saw that the last day. Like I think Harry had a couple very good Keith is very good at it. Um again it's just it's just practice and it's I think the best practice is is within that within the game setting, uh, under pressure. Like you can have a one on one all day long and some of these drills were You've probably done them a tackling drill where you've a forward and a back and I'm standing here waiting for you to come. Yeah, it doesn't it's not really, realistic. It's not yeah. too realistic. So um, I do think the way we've played in the last few years, which has generally been man on man, has improved us along the way. Like we didn't, you know, I'm not sure we started out at better defenders as anyone else like, but I think you've just got that practice of, of doing it more often maybe. Yeah, it's getting the hand. I suppose it is getting the hands in. What you are good at as well, which I think separates yourselves from other teams, maybe Kerry are improving at it, is that while you're all man-marking your man, if there's a loose pass, you leave your man to come, you know, and help out. It, mm-hmm. It's identifying when someone has hands-on and I could potentially double up there. You know, if my man's not necessarily causing too much problems. Am I making sense? I think you had a good interception in the first half against Dublin where you just left your man, whereas if you wanted to man-mark him completely, you know, Dublin would have won that ball. Yeah, Do you get me? That's that's uh, that's a tight balance to make. Now yeah. Because I guess I'm usually given a man-marking job to do. Uh, and, you know, I will be called out sometimes where it's like, Chris, what the hell were you doing? Your back was to the ball there. You could have intercepted it. And sometimes you do get focused because generally they want to give the ball to your man. So if you're not 100% on concentrated, then, like, it could be a point in a second. But it is trying to find that balance. Okay, if he's gone out there, you know, if he's out on the sideline, he's not a threat here, then I do need to be aware to try and help out my teammates. But that is a tricky one. And it's one when you have especially when you don't have numbers back, you need to be very conscious yeah. of not switching off for a second. And I think, like for me, the biggest thing about defending is concentration um, and anticipation. Like I'm probably, I'm not the fastest, I'm fast enough, but I generally rely on making sure that I don't switch off. Because if you switch off for one second, your man is five yards and he's turned over the bar. Whereas if you can anticipate where it's going to be, you can you can stop yourself a lot of running as well, which is always best. But yeah. you can just move into into pockets, cut off angles, um, and the forwards are just so good now that if you do switch off for that second, even 
you know, for a sideline or a free or something like that. Yeah. If you're not, if you're daydreaming for one second, it's it's detrimental. Well, that's the thing. And can you train yourself not to daydream? Because I find myself playing all the time. Like, I mean, you're constantly trying to find not to be, like you say, switching off. But obviously different players' concentration levels and capacities are different. So yeah. you need to concentrate for 70 minutes, which concentrating for 70 minutes is not easy it's to not do. not easy, no. No. And can you improve at that? Or is there ways of improving at that? Or is it just... I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one. I guess it, it very much comes down to a lot of the individuals. You might have some players that, you know, they could spend five minutes thinking about, I don't know, their dinner yesterday evening <laughs> or something and all of a sudden they switch on. But My problem used to be songs would be in my head. If I knew there was a song in my head, I'm not playing well. Really? Yeah, and you just can't get it out of your head. And this is during a match. Yeah, I guess people, you know, there's triggers. Like you have psychologists and okay, there's triggers there. Never really worked for me too much. Like I just... I usually find that the bigger the match, the more I'm switched on. And I think yeah. that might be down to, with the benefit of hindsight and a few years behind me, I think that might be down to how, how much you're thinking about it during the week, maybe. Um, and not thinking about, you know, the, the bad things or making mistakes or something. You know, there's this perception that if, you know, we'll, we'll you know, keep your head down and don't think about it too much, like, you know, and, you know, get do other stuff. But for me, the more I think about it, I think... Visualizing the more I'm visualizing it, yeah. it, yeah. Or if you know you're in bed at night and you know you might know who you're marking, and it just pops into your head. Like I think that that for me, I think is probably would help the concentration. It kind of heightens you a little bit. Um, if there's a player down injured, would you allow yourself switch off for a second, or are you still tr- staying in that you know in that zone and hand on your making sure you're close to your man? Yeah, or? You try and do it as, as for as long as possible. Um, and if you switch off. You know, if there's someone down, you can switch off for a second. That's fine, but it's nearly like, as you said, a trigger to get back into it again. Like, yeah, you know, you're a forward. Like, you, you don't like being someone kind of on you the whole time. Yeah, like, no, even in a break and play, kinda, yeah. it does get into yeah, a fu- it, it used to annoy me more than anything. But if I'm annoyed, that's what you want, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you just you're just trying to impose yourself, and you just kind of get into their personal space, and and that's that takes it does take concentration. Like, because if you know, you could be standing there looking at the ball and. As you say, you're not switched on, but you could be doing something that could might impact on you uh, for the next run you make. You might yeah. be like, well, it's too close to me. I'm not going to get that. Exactly. Um, finally, do you think the game is moving away from the the zonal defences? Like, I mean, you, you never played it. Now there's times when you'll have men back and Dublin, but that's when the attack is really slow and, you know, and you mm-hmm. drift back. Um, Kerry are similar. Like, the good teams are not playing that style. And I think Tyrone are moving away from it. Donegal a little bit as well. The game is more played now. If the attack is fast enough, you get your one-on-ones. If it's slow, the other team will be back. And a lot of play- teams are kind of finding that balance together. Is with that, or maybe catching up on yourselves in Dublin and Kerry? Yeah, I think that's that is a fair way of putting it. I still, there is still zonal defences, and as you said, if it's a slow, if it's a slow attack, then you will see the half forwards getting back into position and offering support. Um, but it has changed, I guess, and it's 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 a constant evolving of the game. Like you kind of learn, like back in you know the Donegal kind of patented and Tyrone the the pile blanket defences. But then Dublin come along, and you're kind of thinking, well, we need to push up on these guys, you know, and you know even if they're playing Mayo, like can we, you know, can we sit off these really and actually hurt them at the other end of the pitch? So it's it's really I think teams taking a view that if we want to be successful, then we need to be able to do it on both sides of the, of the fence. Um, but I think it. I think it's getting to a good balance. You know, I think we. You see, like if we, we will naturally come back as well if it's a slow. Um, if it's a slow attack from from the opposing team, you'll have. You know, your half forwards will probably come back and help out. But you will always kind of try and say, well, look, guys, let's as much as possible keep three or four e up there so that at least there's an out ball. So there's still, I think there's still a little bit of work to be done. Sometimes you'd have, 
you know, even let's say Donegal, like I remember looking up once or twice and, and they'd obviously done it on purpose, but um, when the cornerbacks just ran straight up the pitch to pull Killian and Darren Cohn away. Yeah. Uh, and they were in behind me, I remember at one stage, and I was just thinking, you know, we don't want Killian in there, we don't want Darren in there. So yeah. that's a new fade, that's a new fad now in the last few years where the cornerbacks are taking off. And we were wondering on the show here, why do they follow them? Like David Clifford pawns him off. Have you noticed the way Clifford won't go back past the 45? Yeah, He'll go that far. And I would like, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. You don't want your corner forwards wrecked. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think it, but it needs to be, that needs to be flagged beforehand. Yeah. So I'm sure David Clifford has been told, David, this is your man. You know, he's number two. And the guys out the pitch, or be it a half forward or a midfielder, probably has him flagged or tagged that once he's gone up the pitch, he's going to be taken. But definitely, I think yeah. it's a case of having... And if he does that once or twice and no one follows him and he doesn't get the ball, then he's probably going to think twice about it. Like, you do it yourself. You kind of, I led you up here now. And if this guy, if this guy doesn't follow me... Um, and I don't get the ball, I might just stay back the next time. I'll be tired when I get back down to him. Yeah, See, that's yeah, the balance. Exactly. That, yeah. Or there's a turnover and it's going to be kicked into him. So, um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, it, it is. It is evolving, like, but it's, it's more, for us, it's, it's having that balance between getting enough back, you know, trusting the defenders that they're able to do most of it one-on-one, having a, a factor of safety in there as much as possible, maybe one or two guys, but then having the outlet on the half-forward line, which is key, or even around midfield, that if you do look up, that it's not a sideways pass. Yeah, that the option to move it on fast and get the one-on-ones is there. That's yeah, the correct, important yeah. thing as well. Finally, uh, James Horn said, there's no question there'll be changes to that Mayo group next year. I think that's clear, but that will take its own course. So who's retiring? Who's he talking about there? You in the mix? Well, this, this yeah, dog could scupper your it, career here. It could, actually, yeah. <laughs> I think, sure, we're all getting too old now. We'll have to retire and let the young guys in. Um, I don't know. Look at this. You don't have to name names, but I'd say there will be there be two or three, maybe, that might not go back next year, do you think? Or what's your instinct? I don't know. Honestly, I right. don't know. I guess it's up to all the individuals to make that decision. Um, everyone has their own different you know, agendas and, and, and lives. stuff going on in their own lives. So it'll be their own decision. And I think... They do, they do. I think no one can begrudge any of this Mayo um, squad a, a healthy retirement. Like so, um, we'll see, we'll see. We'll come out over the next few months, I'd imagine. Yeah, we definitely will. Listen, Chris, thanks very much for coming in. No problem. That's all we've time for. We will be back next Wednesday with a studio preview show, and then obviously we're in Liberty Hall, like I was talking about at the start of the show. That'll be next Thursday night. So we'll talk to you then. Good luck. The GA Hour is sponsored by Paddy Power. Home of the GAR Football Acca. I'm not finished yet, it took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. That these fellas will get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years.